Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. So real quick, as we look at Exodus 15, what did the light bulb say on Valentine's Day? I love you a whole what? I hope you, okay, all right. Well, if you don't like that one, you probably won't like this one either, Gerald. Did you hear about the bed bugs who fell in love? They're getting married in the spring. And Gary is leaving the bill. Lock those doors back there real quick. You know I've got to share a little funny with you before we get to it. So anyhow. <laughs> You're fired. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you weren't with us last week, we began this series called God of the Movement. Uh, God is the God of the moment, but God is also the God of the movement. God is the God of the miracle of the moment, but God, more often than not, does a miracle through the movement as He takes a people, a person, through, through life, as we, we grow in Him, as He grows in us, as we develop in the image of Christ. There's more, God accomplishes more in the movement than He does in the moment. But He's the God of both. There's times that we can count on God to show up in the moment, and when He does, we can definitely say, that was God. Right. How many of y'all have ever had those moments? You said, that was a God moment. Amen, amen. Every one of you, if you're saved, ought to be raising your hand, but that's okay. That's all good, all right? But yeah, he's the God of the moment. But more often than that, he is the God of the movement. Now, last week, we looked at the story of the parting of the Red Sea, and most of us are familiar with that, so I don't need to review that in any way. But we looked at how God is the God of the miracles of the moment, how he showed up when they needed him in that moment. And when he does, like I said, it's obviously there's no way to explain it but other than it's a God moment. Today, we're going to look at how he's the God more of the movement. We're going to begin the series process in the series of looking at him as the God of the movement. Now, the Hebrew people have left bondage in Egypt. I mean, and let me, let me back up and say this, okay? I'm going I'm to try to get away from my notes a little bit and just relax just a moment, okay? Because I, I don't want us to go through the motions of this message because we're already familiar with the story. This isn't a history lesson today. You have to put yourself in this story. More importantly, this is your story. When you look at the children of Israel and how God delivered them from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, how He provided for them, met with them gave him the statues in the Levitical law. When you look at all that, that is your life. If you're looking at this as a history lesson that took place over 3,000 years ago, then you really are missing the message behind this story today. So we have to look at that. The Hebrew people have left the bondage of Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea, and they've watched their enemies be destroyed. They have experienced the miracle of the moment where God showed up. Now see, to me, this is the moment that I got saved. This is what I'm trying to say. When you put yourself in this story, the moment you got saved, before salvation, you were in the bondage of sin. You were in slavery, slavery to a, a, a taskmaster, a slave master called Satan, called sin. 
See? And so what happens is God comes along, and the moment I'm saved, I receive Christ. I realize that Jesus died for me. I received that substitutal work on the cross for me because I'm the one who deserves death, not Jesus. And when I do that now, he has released me from the bondage of a past, the bondage of the sin, the slavery of sin, the slavery of Satan over my life. And then he brings me to the Red Sea. What's the Red Sea? The, the Red Sea moment in the Old Testament should be the water baptism for us. Think about it. He took them through the Red Sea out of the land of bondage, and it was very symbolic of what God was wanting to do for them. It was, he destroyed the enemies of, of, of Israel, of the, the Hebrew people right there, but it's more like, hey, it was, it was now I am baptizing you. Matter of fact, the New Testament says it was, was Moses' baptism. If you look over in Corinthians, it talks about Moses' baptism. That moment was when, when they were baptized into Moses' leadership, but really it was God's leadership. And he says, now I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to be your leader. I've delivered you from Satan. I've defeated your enemies. Come on, somebody in the house. You see the correlation. You see the foreshadowing of a relationship with Christ. And now I'm going to lead you, and you're going to have an encounter with me on the mountain. You're going to have an encounter with me. And as you go through this, I'm not going to be so much of the God of the miracle of the moment as much as I'm going to be the God of the miracle of the movement. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to transform you. And regardless of what happens, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. I will show up in your moments where you need me to, but it's more than just a moment, miracle of the moment. It's really about that relationship. So the question is, is what's next? Where do they go after they have come out of the Red Sea? I, I mentioned last week, the Red Sea experience wasn't their destination. God just didn't deliver them from sin, baptize them through the Red Sea, so to speak, and say, okay, you're on your own. Go for it. Have a good life. Bye. See when you get to heaven. No, that was not it. It wasn't to bring them. No, it was a journey that God wanted to take them on. He wanted to be a part of their life and them be a part of their life. Like salvation isn't our destination. Salvation isn't my destination. If all God wanted to do was save me, then he would have taken me out of this world the moment I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's not my destination. One day I will get to heaven, but it's more about the journey of life. It's more about building that relationship with God. It's more about that trust factor that I have in the God, because why? He is the God of the moment, but he's just as much the God of the movement as he guides me, as he leads me, see. And this is for somebody today who has to hear this. You didn't get saved and, oh, I've arrived. It's just, like the, it's just like being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We Pentecostals are good about get saved. Now we want you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then we say, we get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what's next? Most of you don't ever speak in tongues again. Studies have proved that. Now, I'm way off my nose. I guess I need to put this down here. But maybe God's got another message for us today than what I thought he had. But hear my heart this morning. Hear the heart of God. And you never get in your prayer language again. It's not so much about being heard by other people. Yes, if you have the gift of tongues that is accompanied with interpretation, absolutely. But the prayer language is evidence for you. Then it's your prayer closet language that you, you, when you don't know how to pray, you pray. It's when you need to be baptized. You don't need to be saved every day. Some of y'all get saved every week. You don't need to be saved every week. But you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit every day. You hear what I said? So the baptism, the initial physical evidence, is not like I've arrived. It's, salvation is a doorway into a whole new life. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, is the doorway into a whole new life full of power. It's abundant life that Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. It's, it's, it's important that I leave so I can send to you the Holy Spirit. My Father can send you the empower, the, the, the one who's going to come alongside you, the paraclete, the partner in life. 
Okay, you don't have to pay extra for that. So as we continue in their story, we have to think about what's next. He didn't bring them through the Red Sea. to Okay, this is it. You live on this side, the eastern side of the Red Sea. Go for it. No, there's more to it. And there's one, there's a biblical truth, a biblical fact that every one of you need to hear today. Because this is a message series on taking you from where you are to where God wants you to be. None of you have arrived where God wants you to be yet. We're all on a journey. I know there's an old song, we're camping in Canaan's land. Well, we're not in Canaan's land yet. When we get to heaven, we'll be camping. When we get to the promised land, there's the Jordan River. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, I can go through this whole story and and map out your life. We're not in the land of promise yet. I'm just, I'm passing through this world. Come on. When I go through the doorway called death, the Jordan River, when God parts the river, the Jordan River, for me to drop path through again on dry land, the doorway called death, and I enter into the land of promise, the true land of promise, come on, somebody. Then I'm, I'm staying there, but I'm not staying here. All right, you can tell it. I'm going to. Y'all hang on. I got your attention. You ain't looking at your watches. Don't look down at your watches. My goodness. So, there's a biblical fact that you have to understand here today. Because we as Christians today, especially in the world, and I will say specifically for this church, I am your messenger. I am your angel from God, your messenger from God. You need to hear this today, church. I'm trying to make eye contact with every one of you as I can. This, if you call this church home, this message is for you. Where God guides you, God is going to provide for you. It doesn't matter where he takes you, where he leads you, where he pushes you, where he drags you to, what he throws you into. If God is the one who's guiding you into that, then God is going to be the one who provides you. If it's God's purpose, he's going to provide. If it's his purpose, he's going to protect. If it's his will, he's going to direct your life. If it's part of his plan for your life, we have to step out in obedience. Then God is going to provide what we need out of our obedience. Where God guides, God provides. That's the name of this message today. Where God guides, God provides. So what's next after the miracle of the moment? What's next after the parting of the Red Sea? Well, here's another biblical fact. I'm going to be all full of facts today. After the miracle comes the moment. Hear me. After the miracle comes the moment in your life where slowly over a lifetime you come to know God more and more. After the miracle, after that moment where God shows up in your life, you are in the process right there, a lifetime, whether that lifetime is an hour or 60, 70, 80 years, whatever God allows for your life. That moment, for you, Brother Gerald, 90-something, I think you told me, is what God told you. That's a whole lifetime of getting to know God more and more slowly over that lifetime. That's what we're here to do. Here's the fact I, I want to point out to you. If I never get another miracle of the moment in my life, I want you to hear me for just a minute. This is, this is not staging. I'm not up here to perform for you. I'm not here to be your raw, raw cheerleader here. I'm trying to be your leader today, and I can only lead by example. And I, and I fully mean this because if, if I never receive another healing in my life again, if my wife doesn't realize the healing she needs in her body in this lifetime, hear me. If my mom doesn't receive the healing in her mind in this lifetime. If I never experience another miracle of finances where God just saves me financially. If I never never, uh, see a miracle of His his protecting me from some harm in this life. If, If I never ever experience any of those happening in my life. 
The miracle of my redemption in Christ is enough. The miracle of my salvation, my redemption, is enough. It is a miracle that started everything. And what follows that miracle? A lifelong time of getting to know God more and more. See? What follows that is getting to know God more over a lifetime. I know that doesn't excite us, does it? When we think about it, that doesn't excite us emotionally. Because why? We like the miracles, don't we? Woo! God showed up in the miracle. He showed up and provided for me financially. I don't know how I was going to pay that bill. I, I had cancer. I, had, I, had, I have a finger that won't bend right, so I can't play disc golf as well as Brother Bill out there, right? You hear my heart, what I'm saying. See, what we want to do is we want to experience the miracle of the moment, but the miracle of the moment is there to introduce you or somebody else who sees it to a loving God. I said that last week. Miracles of the moment are for God's glory. When he performs a miracle, it's not for your benefit, although you may benefit from the miracle. It's all, look through the Old Testament. Look through the New Testament. When there's a miracle that's done, it's always there to reveal the nature of God so that people who witness it will see him as God. That's, that's some deep thinking right there because we have got so tantalized by the miracle about the stimulation of my emotions. Oh, wow, yeah, it's not for that. Do you hear me? Blind Bartimaeus, he was healed. Who was he healed for? For God's glory so that he would encounter the living Savior, Jesus. But it was also for his disciples to see who Jesus was. And then those others who were following from afar, just kind of, who is this Jesus? So why? They could be introduced to the healing power of the Savior. He would die on the cross one day. Look, look throughout, throughout the history of the Bible. But we think these miracles of the moments are for us, and we, get, and we get so tantalized by them. Don't get me wrong. God gets the glory. We're going to testify. We're going to believe for him. But when we're chasing after the miracles, we miss the moments where God is just trying to grow us and get us to know him better and us know him better. Amen. See? Okay. Long obedience. That's the miracle of the movement. Long obedience in the same direction, getting to know God, discovering who He is. And that's what we're going to look at today. How do I live my life getting to know God? How do I live my life in obedience in the same direction? So we're going to start reading. So are you there? We're in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, where we're going to be reading. I've got a lot of reading, but I don't want to skip over these scriptures today. I'll try to be as brief as I, the Holy Spirit will allow me to be. Put the blame on Him, right? And look, don't be like these, these Hebrew people and start blaming Moses in a minute when it gets long, okay? Y'all play right into my hand, okay? So God has destroyed the Egyptian army by collapsing the water on the Red Sea and destroying those. The Hebrew people are celebrating on the eastern shore. Now it's time to get up and get moving. This is not where God wanted to be. Verse 22, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Marah means bitter water. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, Will he ever quit preaching? No, I'm sorry. What shall we drink? What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. 
I could stop right there, but I'm not. That's a powerful message text right there. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to my voice, or to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statues, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. We'll continue here in a minute, but I do have to stop right there and point some things out. So let's, let's just look at this. So what are some lessons you can learn as you live out the life of obedience in the same direction? I mean, as you get to know God, as you follow Him consistently, as you walk and trust in Him. Well, I think one of the things we can learn is we follow God not because of what He does for us, you have to ask yourself, do you follow God because what He does for you, or do you follow God because He's, a good, and wor- He's good and worthy of being followed? See, it goes back to, are you hung up in the miracles and the, you know, the tendency, the, the tantalization of your emotion? Or do you follow God because of what He can do for you or what He does for you? Now, I don't mean we don't appreciate what He does, but what is the motivation for you following God? Or because He's, a, he's good and worthy of following, see? We look at the Red Sea moments. God showed up for them. He did an amazing miracle for them. Then they get three days in the desert and can't find water. And what did they do? What little bit of trust, what little bit of faith that God had, had grown or they had allowed to develop with them is gone. They start complaining because what? We have no water to drink. We're in the wilderness. We're thirsty. What are we going to drink? They complain. So God provides a solution for the bitter water. Then, get this, within a couple of days, we don't know how long, but not very long, they find an oasis. Get this, they're complaining because they have no water, and the whole time, where is God taking them to? Water. They get three days into it, we're getting low on water, God. Man, I'm just thinking about running out of water, I'm getting parched, what are you going to do for me now, God? God? Moses, you brought us out here to thirst to death, thanks a lot, buddy. It wasn't the best water, but we had water back in Egypt, you know? Come on, what are you doing? What are they doing? And the whole time, God was taking them to an oasis where there were springs of water and where there were palm trees of shade, a place that they could rest for a while and get organized. But they couldn't wait that long. You say, well, they didn't know they was going there. So? So what? You think you know where you're going tomorrow. You have no idea where it's going to happen tomorrow. Are you in the story? Is this you today? Because I'm preaching on somebody's doorstep right now. See, they were complaining and they were going, that God was taking them to an oasis. So God tells the people through Moses as they're leaning to, learning to trust God that if they will listen to him, if, if they just do what is right in his eyes, if they will obey the Lord, hear me now, if they will keep his decrees, if they will just trust him, doesn't that describe us? Doesn't that describe really what we want in a relationship with Jesus? Don't, don't, I mean, I honestly, can I be honest with you? I don't always succeed in this, but I want to walk in obedience to my Lord. I, I do. I sincerely, I sincerely want to. I don't, I've made a mess of my life. I know what happens when I take over. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I've, I've done things my own way and seen what messes I've made of it. And he's had to come rescue me and give me miracles in the moment. Are you with me? There's a miracle of the moment sitting right over there. She's a miracle in the moment for me. Every time I see her, it reminds me of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy for me. Because I don't deserve her. 
And that describes us sometimes, doesn't it? The daily struggles, the ups and downs, the things that we face. You know, with all my heart, I want to obey Him. I want to walk with Him. I want life to be consistent as I move forward in my relationship with Jesus. So God tells them, if you will do these things, I will not make you suffer like the Egyptians did. Then God says this, for I am the Lord, your healer. Throughout the wilderness wanderings, you will see over and over. We're not going to cover this for months. We're only going to go about four or five weeks into this study. But if you look at it, over and over, God is striving to introduce himself to his people, not by what he does, but by, why, but by who he is. He, he wants them to understand who he is. They want him, he wants them to get to know him. It wasn't just about getting the, 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 the principles to, to life or, or becoming wiser or, or, or getting their needs met or getting protection. God wanted them to know him and to follow him because of who he was and not because of what he can do for them. What, the danger of serving God and following God because of what he can do for you means that when he doesn't do for you what you want, when you want, how you want, you're going to turn your back on God. You're going back to B.C., before Christ, and you're going to live life the way you want to because I didn't get what I wanted. He didn't deliver me from this. He didn't answer my prayer. Oh, he doesn't love me. And God says, quit following me because all the stuff I've done for you. Appreciate it. Yes, appreciate it. But follow me because I am your loving Heavenly Father. I care about you. He didn't want them to know him by what he did. He wanted them to know them by who he is. He is the one who heals this is who he is, not just what he does. This is who he is. He is the one who heals. That's not just what he does, see. This is part of his character. When you know the healer, you want to follow him, see. When you know him, you want to follow him. So when you understand who God really is, when you discover the character of God, his love, his grace, his mercy, those attributes of who he is, when you understand who he really is, that is the motivation enough to follow him even when it's not enjoyable. See? Yeah, sometimes we live with this attitude of entitlement. See? Don't we? I mean... Come on, I've got to have a place to lay my head tonight. I've got to have a car to drive. I've got to have food on my table. Matter of fact, I don't want just one meal. I want three meals a day. And, and, and we get the sense of entitlement. You say, well, don't I deserve that? No, you don't deserve any of that. What have you done to deserve it? Say, so you're looking at for God at what he does for you. God says, you know what? I am your provider. I'm the God who provides. But know me as your God, your Lord. See, and those things are taken care of, see. Hope this is making sense. So when we go through hard times or face hardships, we are tempted to get mad at God and stop following Him because He's not showing up in our hard times, see. He's not relieving my pain. He's not stimulating me, see. And I don't have some type of, I don't get some type of emotional high as I follow God. And then I start drawing back. And I can be honest with you, we're bad about that. It's when we're going through the hard times is when we need to press in. Not draw back. When he doesn't appear to be meeting our needs, it's not time to draw back and get angry from God. It's a time to draw in because maybe he doesn't want to meet that need the way you want that need met. But doesn't he say, I am the God who provides. I'm the God who heals. I'm your banner. I'm your strong tower. I'm the one who fights the battles for you. That's not what he does. That comes out of the character of who he is. See? 
I provide for my family not because I'm a provider. That's what I do because of the nature of who I am. Because there's a lot of fathers who don't provide for their families. See? Okay. Let me move on. I think you got the message. If my obedience is based on what he does for me, when he doesn't do for me what I want done, then I draw back. So let's continue here. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. They set out for Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So you see, they've only been gone right at what? A month and five days, basically, here. And the whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Pastor Tony and, and his staff. I'm mean, sorry, no, I'm sorry. Grumbled against Moses. <laughs> it's all right, I've had some fun, I hope. And Aaron in the wilderness. So they come to the Red Sea and complain. God parts it. They, they go into the wilderness a couple days, they don't have water, and they complain. God provides for them. They move on, and they complain again. And verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, What would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt? So now we wish God had killed us with all those plagues in Egypt. When we sat by, look at this, the meats, the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepared what they, they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gathered the previous days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Israel. Egypt. As if, if you didn't already know, people, the God who did all those plagues, if you didn't know, He, he is the God. He, he loves you. If you didn't know, He's the God. You know, when you left Egypt and all the Egyptians were glad to give you their gold and their silver and their jewels, we forget about that part of the story. They were just glad to see these people go, right? That, if you didn't know that he was God then, you will know he's God here in just a minute. If you didn't know that he was the God who led you by the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire, cloud by day and night, right? If you didn't know he was God then, you're going to know he's God here in a few minutes. Oh, if you didn't know he was God when he spread the, the part of the waters of the Red Sea and you walked across on dry land, you're about to know. If you didn't know he was God when he caused the waters to destroy your enemies, which will never chase after you again, by the way. You see the imagery to us there. That's why God did what he did. Pharaoh would have chased Moses and the Israelites down until the day he died. Well, he did until the day he died. God took care of him. But if you didn't know he was God then, you're about to. If you didn't know he was God when he provided water for you, when you complain, you're going to find out in a minute that he's God. If you didn't know he's God, he brought you to the oasis, which you complained about before you got there. You see the picture, what the Scripture's trying to do. Do you put yourself in this Scripture now? Yeah, why? Because they were living in the moment. Just like you're living in the moment right now. You're feeling good about yourself. God showed up. We've worshiped. God shows up. He's moved in the altar. You feel blessed. you got anointed pastors preaching right now all around you, all over you, and the anointing of God's in here. But guess what? Tomorrow, will we find you in the same state of mind, or will you start complaining about tomorrow when tomorrow comes? We're on a journey, church. It's time we get our eyes on him and who he is and not on our circumstances and situation. It's time that we stop letting what happened in this world keep us from doing the call that God's placed on our church and on you as an individual, see. 
We, we dare not be like the world. Woe is me. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Oh, if it weren't. Anyways, you get it, right? Whoo. How much does God have to do to convince you that he is the one leading you? What does he have to do? What does he have to do for you to trust him? Verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord, or against himself. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses is saying, what are you grumbling against me for? I feel your pain, Moses. Okay. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning. By the way, how many people were there? A little over a million between a million and two million people. And God brings in quail. Think about that. That's a lot of meat. That's the God we serve. That's who he is, not what he does, though, right? All right. And so Moses, what we're grumbling, blah, 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 blah. And heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Man, be careful what you grumble about. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. He knows what you're saying, good or bad. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, I, I was thinking this week, Lord, are you bringing this message up because of our business meetings this week? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe God's in this. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now you're finally going to know that I'm the Lord your God. We won't have any more grumbling. There won't be any more complaining. You're going to follow me because once again I'm going to show you. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. I think it was Krispy Kreme donuts. Not sure. Fine as frost on the ground. Maybe it was frosted flakes. I don't know. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Now, I don't know how they said it. I'm, ooh, what is this? I don't know. My wife would probably say, Ooh, what is this? Right? My kids. No. I'm, ooh, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The chapter continues with some instruction on how they should gather it. Right? They're only supposed to gather what they need for the day. There's a lesson in that. We won't talk about that today. He says, listen, on the sixth day, you gather enough for two days because on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to gather. It's a day of rest. It's a day of remembering what the Lord has done for you. It's, remember, it's a day we honor God and we worship God. There's a lesson there. I'm not going to preach on that today, but there's a lesson there. Come on. What's intriguing about this test, text is that the Israelites complain, murmur, moan again, and God shows up in the cloud. And what I'm expecting God to tell them is this. Then go back to Egypt. Is it really that bad that you're complaining again? Then why don't you, if you think it's better in Egypt, go for it. Go back to Egypt. Fine with me. I'm, I'm bending over backwards here for you. See, I'm kind of expecting him to tell him to start running because he's about to start zapping him with lightning bolts, right? You're complaining, and pew, who's next? Pew, right? I mean, let's be real. I'm trying to be funny to, 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 to bring you into it, but think about it. Think about 
And God, what, what does God do for him, right? No, he doesn't. He hears the complaining, but instead he says, I've heard your complaining, and this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm not going to send you back to Egypt. I'm not going to zap you with lightning bolts. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to take care of you. Someone needs to hear that today. You're complaining, and you're complaining, and you're complaining, and God's not telling you, fine, go back to your life the way it was. He's not going to zap you with lightning bolts, right? He says, I hear you. Remember who I am. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. You don't have to worry about this. I've got this, right? See, that tells us a few things about God, one of which is this. God provides not because of what we do for him, but because of his patient, pursuing love for us. See? And, and do you hear the first principles, those two? I first start off saying, God, it, we follow God not for what he does for us because he's worthy of following. He's good. And now the next principle is, look, but he doesn't do what he does to us because we deserve it. It's because he loves us. He is a pursuing God. See? In other words, he doesn't provide for us based on our performance. It's grace. He provides for us because He's good, because He's God. Even when they aren't getting it, even when they are complaining, even when their, their obedience is not evident yet, this patient pursuing God who really wants them to know Him is providing for them again. When you eat this bread and eat this meat, you will know that I am your God. See, this is a loving God. Think of all He's done. Liberated them from Egypt. I've already, I, I'm going to keep rehashing this because you've got to think, put yourself in what God's done for you, right? He's liberated them from Egypt, saved them from, from the bondages of sin. He's taken them through the Red Sea, baptism into him, right? He's destroyed their enemies. Satan no longer has any control over you, no authority of you, no power over you, unless you give, unless you go back to him. See? He's provided food. He's provided water. He's done all this for you. He's provided. I mean, I could really break this down to the New Testament right here, but I won't. See, why? Not because of anything you've done. It's because of who he is. I just want them, he says, to know that I am God and that I love them. And he did all those things to demonstrate his love for them. It's similar to us. We know God in the moment on Sundays, like I said. But when Monday comes, we're right back to where we were before Sunday. We're complaining. How am I going to pay this bill? What am I going to do? Oh, I hate getting up and going to my job. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And God's saying, oh, me. How about for the love of me, just follow me. And appreciate what I've done for you because you're on a journey. You may not like it right now because you're in the wilderness, but I'm taking you to a promised land. See? All right. Let me continue going here. There's another principle from this passage. Guys, I just skipped a lot on my notes. And I didn't do that for praise, but just so you know, I'm working on it. <laughs> Don't amen me, clap me down, shout me down here, Okay. God gives us tests, not to fail us, but to bless us more. Part of this was a test, wasn't it? He was trying to build their faith. See, Exodus 16, 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may, what? Test them whether they will walk in my law or not. In other words, I will test them to see if they will follow my instructions. See? We know from the New Testament that God does not tempt us to sin. So this is not a temptation for them to sin or cause us to sin or make us sin in any way. We really don't need to be made to sin, do we? 
We do that pretty well on our own, I think. But, we're pretty, but, but what he's saying here is he's given us tests. He gives them tests, gives us tests in order for us to pass. Thereby, we learn more about him and walk closer to him in faith and obedience. Every step I walk in obedience to the Lord, I see that he does what he says he's going to do. When he says go, I go. And when I show up and he provides, okay, God, you kept your word. Can I tell you, God has never not kept his word with me. And I'd imagine, say, most of y'all, he didn't, hasn't failed you either. Amen? So, so we see that. It's, it's so that we grow in him in faith and obedience. He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to pass so that he can bless us with even more. And, I, and don't get caught up in the word blessing. It's really a stewardship issue. He wants to steward. He, you want more of his power, more of his presence? What are you doing with what he's given you already? It, it, over in the New Testament, in Matthew, we see the, the parable of the talents, right? He wants to know, are you going to be faithful and, and, and with what he's already given you before he can give you any more of whatever it is you need? Why would he give you something if you're not going to be a good steward of what he's going to give you? I've said that for years with souls. Why aren't we? Now listen, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm the leader. Why aren't we seeing more people saved and brought into the kingdom? If God will that none should perish, why aren't they getting saved in our church? Maybe because we're not ready for them. Maybe you're not getting the answers you want in your life because you're not ready for it. You haven't passed the test here to where God can give this to you over here. And he's just saying, come on, will you trust me? I know you're three days into the wilderness, you have no water, but I'm taking you to an oasis. See? I know you're going to run out of food. I understand that, but if you'll be patient with me, I'm going to provide quail and manna. You're going to have heavenly bread that no other people will ever eat. Come on. They said it's like honey. I love honey. Ben, honey. Love it, right? Honey bread, whatever. Frosted flakes, Krispy Kremes. T-bone steak, medium rare, sweet baked potato, whatever. It was good. It was wholesome. It's what they needed. Because what did he say to those in the talents, in the parable? If you've been faithful in a few things I entrust you with, I'm going to give you responsibility over more things. See, God desires us to grow in what we can handle in life. As a disciple, I'm to be on track, on a growth track, where I'm able to be responsible for more and more as God brings more and more into my life. Maybe the church isn't growing because I have not showed responsibility for the church that's here now. I don't know. These are questions I have to ask. See, is this resonating with you? If you have a car, you don't take care of it. Why in the world is God going to give you something nicer? That may not have been a good example. My cars aren't the best looking cars. I bought them used. I take care of them. All right? All right, I know. I need to keep going. Remember, God wants the Israelites to be obedient because he has promised land he wants to give them. Right? He has this place he wants to give. For him to give them the land of promise, they would need to grow in the relationship. That was the whole process. Now, not the 40 years wandering, but the process of going from Egypt to the Jordan River the first time was just for them to get to know him, understand him in his nature, so that when they crossed the Jordan River going into the promised land, that they could take the promised land, they could occupy the promised land, they would be organized, they would be listening to them, they, he would, they would be obeying him and following his instructions. That's the only way they're going to take the promised land is with him. But they didn't see it that way, and they, you know the story of the spies. Only two came back with a positive report. So God says, fine, I'm going to let this generation die in the wilderness. I'm still going to provide for you. You're still going to have food. You're still going to have clothes. Your shoes won't wear out. But you're not going to cross the Jordan into the land of promise. See? 
because they didn't learn to trust the Lord and walk in obedience to the Lord. Because it's just not going to be long after when they cross the Jordan, the first thing they come to is Jericho, right? I want you to walk around Jericho, but don't say a word. What? Don't even carry a weapon. They're going to think we're crazy. You're going to do this for a couple days, six days, on the seventh day you're going to go around, and then you're going to shout, and you're going to see God provide for you. First generation never got that. They mumbled, they groaned, they complained, talked smack on the disc golf course the whole time. Love you, brother. I threw you under the bus, didn't I? Oh. See, this is what they had ahead of them. But the people kept looking back at the spam and the potted meat they had in slavery. God says, I've got milk and honey and grapes that you can't carry by yourself. I'm going to take you to Outback and you get prime rib, whatever you want. And they said, no, Lord, we want to go back and eat potted meat and Vienna sandwich sausages, Lord. Come on. What we have to realize is that God gives us tests to ask a simple question. Will you walk by faith demonstrated by obedience or do you have to walk by sight? And what they were saying is, we want to go back where we can plainly see where our provision is coming from. They were enslaved, but it was easy. They could see every day they're going to feed us. We may be in slavery. Our lives may be miserable, but at least we have potted meat and Vienna sausages and crackers. They're stale because they've been in the boat for over eight months, but they're, they're there. Anyone fished a river know what I'm talking about. They're saying... What, what, you know, as, as we're wandering around, right? We're out here wandering around. We're waiting. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We don't know where our next meal will come from. Our next time we'll find water to drink. You see, that's difficult. And we don't want to go through that. We find it rather easy to live under the slavery. Because it's easy. We're comfortable with it. It becomes second nature to us. And God says, no, I have more for you to do. Even with all the miracles God performed for them. Hear me. They still had more faith in the Egyptians because they could see it. It was there. They couldn't trust God provide when they couldn't see it. So, and we intend to, we don't intend to. That's the way we live our lives. Let's let's quickly. I'm going to try to. I am going to try to land this plane real quick. Just have faith. So he fries them with man and quail, even over the over a million people. Well, let's. So they're going to stop complaining now, right? Well, let's see. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the command of the Lord. Good. They're following God's command. And camped at Raphidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Now let me tell you something. If the first time you didn't have water, you complained God provided. The next time you come to a place where you don't have water, what are you going to do? No, you're not. You're going to complain. You're going to complain. You know you do. All right, let's see what they do, right? Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why, do you, why are y'all quarreling with me, right? That's a rhetorical question. Why do you test the Lord? Isn't that interesting? God tests us so we succeed, so we can pass the test, so we can give him more. And what do we do? We test God so he can fail. That's what they're doing. They're testing the Lord. Hey, where's he at? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children, our livestock, with thirst? So Moses cried, Lord, 
feel your pain, Moses. What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. They're about to kill me. And what does God tell Moses? Run, Moses. Hide, Moses. I'm going to protect. No, this is what God says. They're about, to, they're about to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people. They're about to stone me, Lord. That's all right. Walk out there. Don't worry about it, right? I'm about to, they're about to stone me, Lord. And he says, take some of the leaders so you're not by yourself of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go. And I'm going to destroy all these people when you do, right? God, you're going, all right, God, you're about to use me to destroy these people. No, that's not what he said. Behold, I will stand before you. He's not going to let Moses face the people alone. They're on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God loves these people. And I think we need to see ourselves in this story, in this group of people. God loves us. And see, I already pointed this out, but this is the foreshadowing of Christ here over in 1 Corinthians 10. These sinful, complaining people come to God and complain yet again. What did God do? He doesn't strike the people. He strikes the rock. See? He strikes the rock. He doesn't strike the people. He strikes the rock. Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well having this discussion with this woman, been married five times, living with the sixth guy. And, 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 and I don't want to rehash the scripture, but you know, he says, listen, I want to introduce you to water that when you drink of it, you will never thirst again. See? That, that's, this is the foreshadowing of Jesus. This, this is the fulfillment when Jesus is being tortured, and he's being beaten, he's being stricken, he's being, he's being mocked and eventually hung on the cross. The, the life-giving water, his blood flowed so we could have life, and life abundantly, so we could have spiritual. We'd never thirst again spiritually. See, the issue is not water in the real world here. What he's talking about is they were thirsting for an old life, just like sometimes we thirst for an old, old life. And God says, I'm all. Jesus is all you need to quench the thirst. So quit lusting, quit loving, quit desiring the things of the world. Let me be your desire. Let me, if you'll drink of me, Jesus said, you will never have another spiritual thirst in your life. This is where we are. Where we've been for a while, where we've been for about three years. And God's saying, Listen, I've got you. Follow me. Walk in obedience to me. Don't do it because I'm doing these things for you. Do it because of who I am. If you know who I am, if you drink of me, you don't have, you don't have to even ask for those things. I firmly believe that God would provide water and food for them even if they hadn't asked for it. Or else that, he would have worked a miracle where they never got thirsty or hungry ever again. See, in, in, in the Old Testament, in the story of the Israelites there, see. And that's, that's what I feel like God is telling us today. He, he just wants us to walk in obedience to him. And we complain, and we complain, and we complain. And I know you don't mean to. It's funny how our kids do grow up to be like us. And the whole time God is saying, I have provided everything you need. You lack nothing in your life. 
what you perceive lacking it may not be a lacking it either maybe you're not ready for it or maybe you don't need it or maybe it's not my timing you say well that doesn't mean he's meeting my needs it's called trusting him it's called walking with him called walking in obedience to him and not taking your life and doing with it what you want to and, and, and feeling like you can fix problems on your own. Trust. The, that doesn't mean you don't play a part in it, but you don't move. They didn't move until the cloud moved. Don't move until the cloud moves you. Walk in obedience. See, God ultimately wants us to, us to see His biggest promise of all, redemption offered by Jesus on the cross. Every story in the Old Testament and the Scriptures of the New Testament point towards Jesus. You have to see that. He is the centerpiece of all Scripture. Every book in the Bible points to Jesus. What God wants us to see is the Scriptures, not that we should try harder or make God happy so he gets off our backs. What he's teaching us over and over is that we who have been disobedient complainers, he still loves us and pursues us and provides for us. He's made a way for us by striking the rock. See, he allowed his son to be crucified so we could find through him forgiveness, a new life free from sin and the penalty of death. And see, God is still pursuing people today. So I want to close that way today. I know we've had a great move of God and, 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 and the altars have filled up, and, but I would be remiss if I didn't once again cast the net here. God's done all He's going to do for you to be saved. Jesus is not going to die on the cross again. He's not going to rise from the dead again. He's, done, he's at the right hand of the Father and has sent His Holy Spirit. But for your salvation... You have to ask yourself a question. If it's God's will that none should perish, why are people perishing? It's because people aren't responding. Because God doesn't force himself on people. It's a spiritual law. Oh, this has nothing to do with the message, but I need to point this out to you. God puts himself under certain spiritual laws that are spiritual laws. God can't force himself on you, nor can Satan force himself on you. We know Christians can't be possessed. We can be afflicted by Satan and demons. But can I tell you something? And I believe this, and I can show it scripturally. Even a non-believer can't be possessed by Satan unless he opens the door for Satan into their lives, his or her life. That is a spiritual principle. And God says, I can't break my principles. I cannot force myself on you. But I can knock. Anybody home? Anybody want to come in and sell? I'd love to come in and fellowship with you. If you'll just open that door. Man, I'm not here to beat you up. And I know you're going to complain, and, and I know what kind of people you are, what kind of person you are, but I still love you. I even know what you've done. I know the, the sinful things, the terrible things that you don't even want to remember. You don't even want to talk about. You don't, you don't want to hash out. I know what they are. But it doesn't change my love for you. It's the day of love. Today. There's no greater love than this, that a friend laid down his life for another. And Jesus laid down his life for all. 